Well, I invite you to turn to our passage this morning in 2 Corinthians 12. If you're using the black Bible from the chair, it should be page 970. 970, 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at the first half of this, of this chapter. We've, we've been studying through 2 Corinthians, and we've been in this... Uh, in this final section for a couple weeks now. Uh, and uh, if you haven't been with us, what, what Paul has been doing is he's writing to these Corinthians to, to really warn them and challenge them because there are these false apostles, these rival leaders uh, who have caused all sorts of trouble in the church and they're, they're leading the, the Corinthians astray. They're criticizing Paul and the true gospel that he preaches and and, and one of the things that they're doing is that they're, they're boasting in how great they are, how accomplished they are. And Paul, in this section, in order, to, in order to challenge them and their message, essentially says, okay, uh, I'll, I'll play the fool. Uh, I'll play your game. You want to play the boasting game? I'll boast. But Paul doesn't boast in how great he is. He boasts in his weakness. And so we saw last week... Uh, how he, he lists a whole uh, details of his biography that show all the hardships and sufferings and things that just make him look unimpressive. Um, this week he transfers to a new uh, category of boasting, which apparently was big among those false apostles, which is boasting about visions and revelations. And, and he says, okay, well, I can boast about that too. But he does it in a very different way. Uh, again, pointing to uh, to weakness. And in the process, he gives really one of the most powerful discussions in Scripture about how God works in the midst of the hardest things of this world. Uh, and so we, we look to be taught and encouraged. Let's read 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. I must go on boasting. There is nothing to be, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though I should wish to boast, uh, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in him or hears from me, sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am Content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's pray. Father, your, your word is always good and powerful. But we're thankful for this passage and, and get a sense, even in reading it, of its, uh, of its importance and its power in the lives of your people. Lord, would you do the good work that you intend through your word, uh, even here, we pray, asking it in Jesus' name. When God says no, when God says no, you're walking through the valley, a trial, something really, really painful, perhaps a, a trial of the body, it physically hurts, uh, or, or a deep valley of, of the soul. It cuts to the core of your, of your heart. But either way, this, this deep, intense pain and difficulty, and you're pleading with the Lord, Lord, would you please take it away? And God says, no. Not here. Not now. What do we do with that? How do... How do we wrap our minds around that? That, that here, is, here is the God that we know, and, and he sees, and, and he, he understands what we're going through, and he could take it away, and yet he chooses not to. How do we wrap our minds around that? Well, the Apostle Paul is a helpful place to go. He understands. He has been there. And, and even more so, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking God's very words, the words of Jesus, who we know has himself been there. So we'll see what, what God can help us to understand, how he can guide us. Uh, there's so much in this passage. This is, a, this is one you, you don't get at one sitting, the one you've got to go home with and meditate on and come back to, but... Let's try to say a few things uh, together. First of all, <clears throat> noticing how Paul speaks of his one thorn and two hands at work. One thorn, two hands. So the time when God says no to Paul is when he's suffering with what he calls this thorn in the flesh. What exactly was that? Uh, Christians down through the ages have made all sorts of suggestions. You know, was it migraines? Was it, was it a disease of the eyes? Was it intense persecution or a intense temptation? And Paul doesn't say. He just doesn't say. He says thorn in the flesh. Now, he says at the end of the passage, he speaks very broadly uh, about various hardships. Did you catch that in verse 10? After his, his specific thing he thinks about, and then he broadens it out at the end, weaknesses, insults, calamities, hardships, persecutions. So it seems like Paul wants us to take this broadly. 
And maybe that's exactly why he, he was vague about it. Why he didn't get specific and name a, name a condition. So that none of us could say, oh yeah, Paul had that, but, but I'm different. And that, that doesn't apply to me. Or that, or that none of us would, would play the, the comparison game. We can, we can do that in suffering, can't we? Well, this person has it different than I do. They have it worse. They have it better. Therefore, I, there's some kind of comparison. Or no, no, Paul doesn't want us to get into that. He just states something that is, is specific enough uh, to, to us to see and feel the pain of it and connect to it, but, but vague enough that we're, we're not going to dismiss him. A thorn in the flesh. Uh, it, the language there is is not just like a like a rose thorn. You know, you're pruning the bushes and ooh, that hurt and that's going to annoy me for a couple days, kind of thing. Like, but life goes on. Like a little annoyance, but life goes on. That's not that's not the kind of thorn he's talking about. Uh, it, it's it, it's like a like a sharp stake uh, that, that that pierces and pierces deep, right? It's it's the kind of thing where you can't do life just goes on, like business as usual. Uh, no, it's, 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 it, it cuts that deep. It, it wounds that intensely. There is no business as usual. That's what Paul's, Paul's talking about. This thorn in the flesh. He names it as such. And then he talks about two hands at work. Almost in the same way. He talks about the thorn as being given by God and a messenger of Satan. One thorn, given by God to do a work, and yet a messenger of Satan to harass. He just throws it out there. Uh, the thorn, given by God. That's, that's clear in the text. Can you see that? Uh, he says it in a, in a typically Jewish way, so maybe we should note that. Verse 7, he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Uh, in, in Jewish tradition, you, you often refer to God indirectly. So as opposed to naming directly, you kind of go around the corner and name indirectly. So you notice here, a thorn was given me. It's in the passive voice. So well, who did the giving? Well, that's how... Jewish tradition speaks of God. Uh, God gave it. If you're, if you're not convinced by that, you could just go back earlier in the passage and see other places where Paul does that. So verse 2, he says, I know a man in Christ uh, for who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Again, passive voice. Uh, was caught up. Who, who did the catching? Clearly it's God. God uh, caught him up. Uh, but he refers to God indirectly. Same thing in verse 7, earlier in verse 7, uh, where it's, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Who, who's doing the keeping Paul from being conceited? Well, well, he's clearly talking about that's what God is doing in the midst of this. Um, so again, he's referring to God uh, indirectly. God gave me this thorn. A thorn was given me. God gave me this thorn. But then in the very next breath, he calls it a messenger of Satan to harass me. Just, just tosses both of those out there, side by side. Doesn't spend a lot of time explaining how the, the two interact, but just, there they are. One thorn, two hands at work. 
You might think back to the book of Job. Remember how, how Job and all his sufferings are clearly described as Satan's doing this, right? You can get that scene in heaven where God says, okay, you can do this, and Satan does it. But in the very next breath, uh, Job says, God has given, God has taken away. Satan did it, God took it away. Right there. One word, two hands. Or maybe you think of, maybe you think of Joseph and his brothers, Joseph's brothers devised this wicked, evil plan to harm him, sell him into slavery, get rid of him. And you remember how Joseph describes it later in his life when he says, you meant evil against me. God meant it for good. One selling into slavery, you, you did this and had this purpose, God was doing it and he had a purpose. Or, and, and, and maybe this is, this is the most important how about Jesus and his suffering? How does Jesus describe his, his thorn in the flesh? Right? Talk about thorns, not just thorns on his, on his brow, or even stakes driven into his hands and his feet and his side, but, but the, the piercing wrath of God in the crucifixion. Uh, he describes that same thing as one work or one event, but two hands at work. He calls the crucifixion uh, the hour of the power of darkness. The hour of the power of darkness, right? In other words, this was Satan's hour. This was Satan coming, the, in the powers of darkness, coming to kill and destroy. That was the crucifixion. And yet he was clear all along, this was his father's will. This was what had, had, had God had predicted down through the ages. Isaiah 53, it was the Lord's will that he should crush it. One, one intense suffering, two hands at work. And, and Paul doesn't spend a ton of time explaining it. Uh, it certainly raises all kinds of questions in our minds. Um, we, we should maybe answer one of them and be careful to notice that when we talk about two hands, we're not talking about two equal hands or identical hands, uh, mirror image hands. Uh, because Satan and the pow- and all powers of darkness you know, at every level, down to people and spiritual beings, they are all created beings. Versus the hand of God, he's he's the creator. Satan is is limited, as we see in Job. Right? God has God has Satan on a leash, so it's 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 thus far and no farther. But God is God is the Almighty One. So two hands, but they're not exactly equal in, in any way. But yet, the scripture holds them both side by side, as if we need to think through both of them in, in the valley. And I think that's, I think that's helpful as you, as you walk through uh, those times when the, the thorn in the flesh, whatever it is, is, is really, really intense. Don't be surprised if you notice aspects of both. So you're, you're feeling the, in, the intensity of uh, of, of, of a difficulty, of a trial, you very well might see great evil. Maybe in the sense of great, you're suffering because great wickedness was done against you. Or perhaps it's, it's the feel of, of a trial and it just feels like it's a spiritual attack. Like, you're, like there, is, there is this this enemy that's harassing and seeking to to tear you down. 
Uh, if you see or feel that kind of evil in the midst of a trial, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. But it's also not the whole story. A messenger of Satan to harass. But yet, here's the Father giving. The Father sovereign. Right? Here is, here is in that same, that same difficulty, your Father's at work, child of God. Your Heavenly Father who says not a sparrow falls from the ground apart from His will, that He is right there. And that in the midst of that affliction, there is not one single second where your Heavenly Father falls asleep at the wheel. Or your Heavenly Father stands back and kind of folds his hands and kind of indifferent uh, or powerless. No, he is he's right there and he is at work. And both are true. Great wickedness and darkness to harass and destroy, and yet, and yet God working. But didn't Jesus even say that? Uh, right? The, that the, 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 the evil one comes to kill and destroy, but I come, they may have life. Uh, yeah, that can actually take place in the very same trial. One thorn, two hands. Secondly, we can notice faithful pleading. Faithful pleading. So God gives this thorn in the flesh, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So Paul pleaded with the Lord. Three times, we're told. Uh, the idea, probably not kind of just like three discreet prayers, like you prayed on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and then stopped on Thursday kind of thing. Uh, three throughout this passage seems to have this note of completeness. We'll see that with the third heaven, uh, highest completeness. Um, so I, I don't think we think of it as like, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, praying and then that kind of thing. But, but as much as Paul really, really pleading, again, and again, and again, take it away. Probably not at all a coincidence uh, that Paul prays, we're told, three times, take it away. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember Jesus, right, fully human, and he's pleading to his Father, Three times, the gospel says. Three times. If it be your will, take this cup from me. Paul is, Paul is pleading with the Father uh, because here he is, connected to Jesus, walking in the footsteps of Jesus, uh, pleading like his Savior did. Uh, take it away. So we can conclude at, at least this. Uh, godly, faithful believers plead with the Lord. Say things like, Lord, this is awful. Lord, can you please take it away? Lord, this hurts. Lord, I don't understand. Faithful, godly believers pray that way. Which, which really challenges and, and twisted and wrong notions of suffering. On the one hand, uh, there's, there's, that, there's that twisted theology that says, well, if you just had enough faith, uh, then, then you'd be healed. 
right? So if you're not healed, the implication is, of course, that you don't have enough faith, some hidden sin somewhere. Uh, well, 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 you think Paul, I mean, come on, if anybody deserves a healing, uh, Paul should just have to pray once then. No. There's a lot wrong with that theology, and this certainly speaks to it. There's also this other uh, notion that can get into our heads as believers that, well, if we were really faithful enough, strong enough in the Lord, then, then we would we'd be more stoic in trials. That hard things would come and, and we'd just have this kind of calm ascent. I accept whatever you bring, Lord. But that's, that's what faithfulness looks like. Uh, and, and, and so if you're, if you're not doing that, then you, you feel guilty. Like, I, I, sh- I should be more like that. But here I am crying and pleading and, you know, not understanding. And, um, well, Paul says, no. Right? He talks about how repeatedly he's, he's pleading with the Lord. Even more importantly, think about the Lord Jesus. Think about Jesus, where he's there in the garden, and and right, sweating drops of blood uh, because of his uh, because of this this intense uh, pleading with his father as he sees the trial. Right, so, so if Jesus can do it with that intensity of emotion and and uh, and lack of stoic calm ascent. Uh, I think we can do it too. Uh, in fact, it's what faithfulness looks like, calling out in, in desperation to our, to our Father. But as we plead, God might say, no, no, not now, no, not here, no, I'm not going to take the trial away. What then? Well, we need to look at the Father's purpose. Well, what we're looking at here is, is God's purpose for Paul with this trial. Uh, and it doesn't mean God has the identical purpose for you in your trial. Uh, you, you might never even know what God's purpose is for a particular trial. Oftentimes you don't. Either in the moment or even five years, ten years down the road. You might never see it. Um, but one, as we see God's purpose for Paul, we can re- remember that God does have a purpose. And even in how Paul describes this and goes through it, there's, there's encouragements for us. So let's look at, let's look at him. God explains. Uh, verse 7. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to keep me from becoming conceited. So Paul was given these, these great revelations. It's what he describes in verses 2 to 4. Now, he describes it there in the third person, I know a man. Uh, he's talking about himself. It's, it's clear. You look at the passage. He's talking about himself. right? But he's, he's in the process of playing the fool, and so he's trying to kind of distance himself from even what he's doing a little bit in his language. But clearly, he's talking about himself. And he says, verse 2, he was caught up to the third heaven. Or verse 3, the same thing. Uh, but different language, he was caught up into paradise. So third heaven, probably that notion of completeness or or highest, caught up to the highest heaven. There is no greater. 
uh, which fits with the language of paradise, caught up to paradise. Uh, that's not a term that's used very many times in Scripture, uh, but when it's used in the New Testament, it's used to refer to the, the very throne room of God, the very presence of God. Remember Jesus talking to the, the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. You, know, you, you can be right there with me in the very presence, my very presence, the Lord's very presence. Now that's, that's paradise. And Paul says he was caught up into that very place. Some type of vision and understanding where, where he was an experience of being there. And he then explains that the thorn was in the flesh was given to him, uh, and God's purpose in it was that he would not be conceited because of those visions. He wouldn't be proud. Right? This is this is the very the very the very sin that those false apostles are running into. Look how great we are. Look at our great accomplishments, and you know, uh, and and Paul's saying God God was protecting me uh, from going there, from from saying, look at this great revelation I've had. Uh, look how wonderful I am. I'm the best of the best of the apostles. You know, whether that was Paul preaching it publicly or Paul just even in his head thinking about how great he was because of these revelations. And God gives this thorn in the flesh uh, to, to guard him, to warn him, to, to steer him away from that, from that deadly pride. So how does that work? How would, how would this thorn in the flesh keep Paul humble? Um, has this great vision of God, and God wants to keep him humble, so he gives him this thorn in the flesh. So... I think it's worth pondering a little bit how this works, because I think it's a little bit different than we tend to think, or maybe it's just that I tend to think, um, because I think I think we might tend to think, I think I've often pictured in this passage, that God's kind of, with Paul, balancing out the scales a little bit. So, so God gave this Paul this really, really, really great, great thing. And now, to, to kind of kind of help Paul out. Uh, don't give him too much great, so we're going to give him this really, really low thing, so kind of, kind of balance it out. Right? Don't have too much fun, Paul. Don't get too excited, so we're going to kind of balance things out. Kind of like God was good cop for a while, so now he's got to show up as bad cop to kind of keep Paul steady. Um, you ever, ever get that in your head, think about about trials? But it actually doesn't fit. Uh, the notion here, I think, is quite... Uh, it's is a very different nuance. Think about the details. What was Paul's vision all about? What did he see when he was caught up to paradise? Well, he, he doesn't tell us. He even speaks of things that he heard things that he shouldn't be uttered. Uh, but, but we do have, in several places of Scripture, uh, believers describing similar visions of being caught up into the very throne room of God. Right? We read one of those this morning from Revelation 4. Uh, and John gives us uh, what that was, what that was like. So maybe Paul didn't. Maybe Paul got more, but he at minimum got a scene something like this, where the, the the focus is on the Lord God as the as the mighty one, uh, as the one who is high and exalted and worshipped by angels as uh, as holy as as the King, as the ruler of all of history and the Lord of all creation, uh, high and lifted up. So Paul, at minimum, he saw that. So 
For Paul to have that kind of vision, right? God is great and mighty and exalted, and then Paul to kind of come back to earth and turn around and start getting proud. Did you notice how great I am? Did you notice how wonderful I am? Right? That's not Paul getting too much of a good thing. That's Paul completely twisting that good thing. Right? That would mean Paul completely missed or forgot what he saw, what the whole point uh, of the glory uh, that was given to him, at least in part, seeing the throne room of, the, of God. The whole point uh, of, that, of that scene is God is great, and, and I, Paul, am not. Not compared to that. He's the Lord. I'm not. Uh, so Paul turns around and, and, and begins to act proud. It's not because he got too much of a good thing. We need to balance him out a little bit. It's because he missed it. And, and, then, and then you can kind of see how the, how the thorn in the flesh uh, comes along. Uh, as it comes, in God taking, taking Paul and, and really driving home his, Paul's real weakness his real dependency on God. Um, well, in a sense, that's almost the same thing he should have learned in that vision of heaven, isn't it? Right? That, that God is the one who's great and has all strength, and that Paul is the one who, uh, who isn't great at all, but is totally and completely dependent upon this exalted God. Uh, and, and now he's getting, it, he's getting that, that message in a very, in the, with the thorn, in, in a different way, in a more painful, intense way, it's, it's being driven home. Um, but, but I don't think it's exactly like Paul got, don't give him too much of a good thing, so give him a bad thing, and we'll kind of like balance things out. Uh, it's, it's God, what God does through trials is remind us of really what was always true. Uh, our, our life was never bound up uh, with, with our strength. We never lived by bread alone. Uh, we, we, we never were strong and great in, our, in ourselves. Um, I, I, I wonder if sometimes we, we tend to think of, of trials in that way, of, oh, God's just trying to balance me out or, or something like that. Um, you know, don't have too much fun. Don't get too excited about good things because you know, bad cop God might show up or... Um, or um, you know, you're in a trial. Is God just trying to kind of smash you down a little bit? Like, don't, don't get too excited. Or maybe you're not in a trial. Maybe you've had this experience. You're not in a trial. Things look okay, but you're a little afraid. Like, don't, don't enjoy this too much because God might think I need to be pushed down a little bit. Uh, that's, that's not the ways of our Father. It, it doesn't mean trials don't hurt. Where they're not often good things being removed and kept from us. They, they, they often are. And, and there is this profound sense of loss. Uh, but, it, but it's a father who, who's reminding us not of, of just, don't be happy. But he's reminding us of where life always was and always is. Where joy is always found in who we always are. Which is... Uh, we're dependent. We're, we're weak, even in our greatest moments. And he's exalted. He's strong. And, and I need to depend on him. I don't live by bread alone. I live by every mouth, word from the mouth of God. And we learn that uh, in, in the great visions of God and, and also in the, in the valleys.
Which brings us, actually, to the final point, the Savior's grace and strength. In painful trials, God gives grace, God gives strength. He always gives, which is why maybe maybe the sermon title should be scratched out. Uh, God says no. I guess it could imply that that God stops giving. No more for you kind of idea. Um, No, he always gives. Sometimes it gives differently. It might not give this good thing, might not give this deliverance and rescue, but as where Paul ends, uh, he ends with what God does give to him in this deepest of valleys, in these most painful of thorns. He said, God, God gave. Right? Grace, strength. Um, verse 9, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Grace is sufficient. Grace is given. Power is given. That's 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 Paul, that's God's answer. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't take away the trial, but he but he floods power and grace. Maybe it's helpful to remind ourselves that that the grace of God is not a a substance. It's not a thing, a commodity. Like cash, where God kind of writes us a grace check, you know, checks in the mail. Here's some grace, or, or you know, I, I just Venmoed you some grace. Check your phone. Uh, that, that, that's not what grace is. Grace is not a substance. So how does God give grace? He gives Himself. How does God give strength? It, it's it's not like cash. He gives Himself. What does the scripture say? God is near to the brokenhearted. Yeah, that's how he gives grace and strength. He draws near. He gives himself. It, it, it even, even sneaks into our, to our passage uh, in an interesting way there in verse 9. As Paul says, part of what God was doing uh, was so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The power of Christ may, may rest. It's the word for, for dwelling, dwell. Uh, it's, it's connected to, to the, it's the root word for tabernacle. Right? Like in the Old Testament, right? God come, came to dwell, to tabernacle among his people. And here he, he says, here, here's what God is doing in the midst of this, this painful trial. God in his power, Christ in his power is, is tabernacling with me, is, is dwelling with me. That's how Paul gets the power. That's how Paul gets the strength and the grace. Jesus draws near. Right? That same Jesus, that same almighty God that Paul saw in that vision of heaven, uh, that he saw the high and lifted up one, the, uh, the mighty one, the same Jesus, right? The lamb who is slain, but now he's on the throne reigning as the Lord of history. That's, that's the Lord that draws near to Paul in his trial. And that draws near to you. In whatever thorn and hardship and difficulty draws near, that's how you get strength. That's how you get grace. Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. And that's why Paul can say in in verse 10, in the midst of all this pain and all this suffering, he can say, "For, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because he had he had this strength of this Christ show up. And that's what that's what God does with us. 
That's what God does with you. Whatever the whatever the valley is, whatever whatever however painful the thorn is, however dark it might feel, you're never alone. You're never alone. In fact, the very definition of a believer we've seen in 2 Corinthians is to be connected to Christ. And that is never more powerfully brought home to us than when we walk the road of Christ. Right? This is not, this is the crucifixion road. This is the crossroad. Right? Most profound of, of suffering. That's not meaningless, though it really hurts. Right? That's Jesus. He goes to the cross, the lowest place. He is that lamb who was slain, but's raised up in glory, raised up in power, raised up in victory. And now here's Paul. He's walking through that. Uh, and he's camped out right here. He's camped out in the cross. And, and, that's, and that's us. Right? We're walking the road of Christ, Christ right there with us. Uh, walking the road of the cross knowing that, that that won't be the end of the story, right? It's, it, it might be no, but it's always no for now, because right? the cross always leads to resurrection glory. Part of that is strength and weakness now, but there's that being raised up in part in this life, and of course, when Christ, when Christ returns. But in the meantime, it does hurt. It does hurt. But God promises he gives grace he gives strength. He gives power for today. For today. Um, will the thorn be there tomorrow? I don't know. I'll certainly pray along with you that it's not. Um, but if it is, we know for sure that God will show up and give grace and strength tomorrow. Which is part of the reason why you can focus right now on just God's strength he's giving you for today. You don't need to worry about what strength he might give you tomorrow. You don't need to. You're not there yet. You're not there yet, which is why it's, it's almost never helpful to think, plot, plan, worry about what might be around the corner. Because you'll always get it wrong. Because you'll always picture it apart from the grace of Jesus that will show up. You, know what? you can't even imagine what kind of grace will show up tomorrow. You're not there yet. But if you get there, we'll show up. And so he just says today, my grace is sufficient for you. Power is made perfect in weakness. And God says no. Wow. This, this, there's no deeper waters that we walk through as Christians. And, and there's so much more the scripture says. We've hopefully seen a few helpful things seeing how how God is is at work even in the midst of evil that we really feel and is really there uh, that that he he never forgets about us that he's always there at work delights even in us pleading and praying out to him and, and that he always comes and brings that grace and strength that we need um, but if I can if I can make this suggestion if you're if you're in the valley right now, you're, the thorn is right there. For some of you, this is prep, might be preparation for what's around the corner. But if you're right there, uh, 
when you're right in the middle of the valley, right, right, the thorn is there, it, it's hard to take in all the complicated details. So maybe this just seems way like a lot of, so maybe simplify it. Uh, maybe it's just, it's just one verse. So I'd encourage you, if that's where you are and you have trouble tracking with all the details, get, get your favorite pen and your favorite notebook and just write out verse 9. Just write it out. Maybe twice. Maybe three times. Maybe ten times. Just, just write it. That really summarizes it all. But it's exactly what we need. My, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that we can come to you, that we can come in our weakness, and we have a, a loving Father who, who welcomes, who sees, who cares, who's at work. Lord, you know those places for each of us, the, the challenges, the trials, would you flood your grace and your strength this very day? Lord, show us uh, the presence of Christ among us. Uh, and show us, uh, Lord, the, the power made perfect in weakness. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.